create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with Postmaster General to Pound Town USA, Chris Prunty. As long... <laughs> as well as our continued special guest, Daniel Quinn. To quickly change the subject, (laughs) I would like to point out that we have a very special interview with Kendra Mack today, uh, aspiring author and all-around interesting person. Uh, So we're going to go ahead and cut straight to the interview now. Hello, everyone. We are joined here today by Kendra Mack, an up-and-coming writer, uh, for those of us who may not know anything about you, Kendra, why don't you go ahead and tell us about yourself? Yeah, sure. So I am a mostly a fiction writer. I'm also a poet. I write little rhymes and perform in formerly the North Shore area, but I recently moved to Medford, uh, Massachusetts, so I'm more close to the Boston area. Um, I write long form um, novels. It's my favorite form, but I also study... Um, Uh, fiction writing with Harvard Extension School and through them I've been writing more short stories these days and experimenting with that form Um, but my favorites are novel writing and uh, mostly in the genres of contemporary um, and in the ways of poetry writing I I mostly stick to to rhyming it's more of my my fun outlet That actually brings me, so I, I've, I've had the great honor to actually read some of your work and uh, I'm very curious as to like what your, what your uh, influences are, I suppose, because I can, I can, there's some conjecture I can make, but I'd rather hear it from you, like who you are really uh, inspired by. Yeah, sure. So in the ways of short story writing, um, a lot of short stories, uh, they, especially contemporary ones, they, uh, they often go over my head, <laughs> I feel like a little bit. And I like to stick to the to classics like Shirley Jackson, short stories, um, suspense and horror and those genres, which is funny because that's generally not what I read um, in, in novel uh, when it comes to novels. Um, I read more contemporary writers, um, but I, I pick and choose from all over the place for the most part. Um, I don't necessarily know. I'm I'm sure that what I read influences my writing, but I don't know if it's necessarily always a one to one. Yeah, and it's it's funny because I think that you know when it, I, I'm very much the same way. Like I don't read horror novels or anything like that, but I think horror does better in general as in a short term format. So I think short stories are often way more effective when it comes to horror just because of the the intense emotion that you can evoke in such a short period of time. Um, what kind of draws you to writing that kind of fiction? Yeah, so it actually was sort of by accident when I started experimenting with short stories. Um, I did write some short stories in, in college and some English classes and just, you know, the life of a writer, you know, just experimenting with forms for for a long time. But I really started honing in on um, sort of a surreal style or experimenting with surrealism uh, fairly recently, and it was just mainly out of fun. I can't <laughs> I can't describe it other than I just needed some. I was in the middle of working on a novel that was uh, contemporary, coming of age, uh, very 
realistic, no elements of fantasy, no elements of horror whatsoever. And I just needed some fun and just writing something that's uh, more in genre just felt more fun to me. Speaking of the genre, um, I notice in some of your short stories, when there's a shift to that form, you tend to create these worlds that are like increasingly, it become like increasingly eerie and things get unstable for the protagonist. Um, how, so when you go about that from a point of view of a craft, like how do you go about accomplishing that in the writing itself? Like what do you think are the elements that work for you when you try to create those kind of worlds? Hmm, that's a good question. So... I my process is usually to start with a premise, um, which you know doesn't necessarily always lends itself to a plot or a particular world, but taking something that I'm familiar with that I enjoy and just spinning it on its side a little bit. Um, so, for example, um, one of my short stories, I, I I do work in a mill building, and I've lived in a mill building, and just having lived in New England my whole life, I've uh, uh, been around mill buildings, grew down, grew up down the street from them. So uh, they just are very interesting to me and have a lot of uh, history around them and just are really interesting in terms of having a world within them and just being an, uh, a, an archive of a particular time, but they're reused and repurposed. And um, so starting with sort of a premise of like, if, an, if a building could see its whole history and talk about its whole history, what kind of narrative would that look like? Um, sort of starting with something small and growing a plot out of that. Do you see there being like a difference in how you go about that um, when you're dealing with something that's really big, like a novel versus say like a short story, like how does a form impact that? I tend to lean, my natural writing style tends to lean towards long form. Um, I really have to try to keep it short. Um, And that usually comes in plotting it out in terms of outlining. If it's something like a mill building story, that could be just, you know, a short story, but then I have to keep it to to a specific, um, a shorter period of time, something a little bit more focused in terms of the characters rather than a novel, which is much longer, uh, would have more, you know, subplots and and more complexities to it. And part of it is um, sometimes I just, Lately, I've just been starting to experiment with a short story first, and if it's something that's wow, I can't, I can't capture this or what I want to say in a short story. Is this something that could potentially be a novel? Then starting exploring it from there. Whereas my process used to be, this is going to be a novel, and then wait a minute, you know, maybe there's not enough here to make a novel, and then you know, I have 50 pages of like, what is this even? So. <laughs> And I think that's the nature of writing over time is is figuring out a process that that works and then maybe eventually someday down the road it doesn't work. And um, I'm always learning and trying to try, try new processes out. Speaking of processes, um, in, in the piece of fiction that I got a chance to read, one of the themes that I – well, there, there's two things actually. The one is you have such a great sense of like intimacy and, and and ironically in a story about a horse, there is a lot of human qualities and there is something so deeply tragic and intimate about that story that I really love, especially with the relationship with her mom. Um, and then on the opposite end for the second point, there is also a great sense of othering that you feel through the character. And I really, really love that as well. 
are the are those like, like when you write what what's your process in that regard are you aiming for a theme are you aiming to evoke or are you aiming to start have a conversation with someone that's a good question i would say i i am trying to start with making a a point or try to showcase something or or an emotion or a feeling and in the in the case of that particular story it's a story about a um a horse who is trying to pass as a human at a corporate dinner party and that started with it which is very absurd and there's a lot of silly moments you know because like hooves and it's just very strange um but uh it started with the idea of passing at uh you know i i as a queer woman have have to navigate that all the time in the corporate world so in that particular case i, I think i was trying to make a point about what it feels like as a queer woman in the corporate workplace and what that would feel like through something that no one who reading this would be able to experience, which is being a horse, but then relate to through a a horse and then make it fun and make it approachable. Um, So it's not so, um, I don't know, so so that you could read it that way thematically, but it's also just uh, hopefully would be more more fun to read if that makes sense (laughs) yeah as as i believe daniel says all the time it's a matter of hitting someone over the head with your ideas like a two by four (laughs) right i don't um, want to be too direct and then it's just you know uh, then just your theme is showing (laughs) (laughs) but but i think that like the way that you explore like those themes through genre is really fascinating. And, and I, I feel like I picked up on it pretty quickly, you know, especially where, when she's sitting in the bathroom and she hears her coworkers talking about her, I'm like, Oh, totally get it. Totally understand what's happening here. Um, and I, and I, I just found that really fascinating. Daniel and I often talk about how genre is kind of, uh, like downplayed or like looked upon mm-hmm. with like through, through like, you know, it's, it's looked down upon basically. And it's like, do you not understand that like Toni Morrison has a ghost as one of her main <laughs> characters? Do you not understand right. that like all of Latin American fiction is like magical realism? And it's like, and yet you're like, it has ghosts in it. It's like, Oh, it's about a horse. And it's like, what do you, you're missing out on so many amazing stories when you tend to poo poo genre fiction and stuff like that. We appreciate yeah, that- your crossover. <laughs> yeah, that, that is my point. Yes. Thank you. Then it makes it difficult to, when I am, um, you know, looking to, uh, shop around some of these stories. Sometimes I don't quite know where the lines are drawn. Um, I, I think a lot more, more and more literary magazines they're looking sort of for their you know literary fiction with a genre twist but Mm -hmm. there's still that that line that you know is this genre is this literary i just i just can't wait to see those lines just totally dissolve the only line that should exist is is this good yes right exactly yeah i mean it's like there, there's a whole conversation to be had about like popular, like populism and fiction and stuff like that compared to, you know, like the elitism of it. But I'm, I'm not going to get into that right now because <laughs> that's like a whole other rant that I don't want to go on. Um, but anyway, so you, you have a love for genre fiction and I hate even calling it genre fiction, mm-hmm. but I do very much appreciate that. I feel like we can become friends just on that alone. So uh, with that said, fine. Like whenever I'm reading, uh, 
one author's work, one page, uh, one book after another, I seem to notice uh, trends of where, even if I didn't know, I would be like, oh, I, I know who wrote this. Uh, what would you say would be like your watermark or like uh, the theme or something that you routinely seem to uh, bring up in your work? That's another good question. I gravitate towards themes both in terms of the books that I like to read or the stories that I like to read as well as write is uh, a feeling of otherness uh, or or alienation in some way or some a character who is looking from the outside in or is stand standing off and standing out in some particular way and I know I know like that's so broad and so many stories are like that and you know protagonists they uh have to stand out in some particular way in order to be interesting but um i think it it plays into um my queerness i like to read queer stories and queerness isn't always necessarily like an lgbt character to me it's someone who um whether it be a person or an animal or an object or whatever it may be is living outside of, of mainstream uh, lifestyle um, and explore and those are the stories that are really interesting to me the the characters that are taking um, an, an alternative approach to to life the typical um, uh, straightforward rom-coms and things like that you know for, with straight couples you know and there's something that happens and it's I'm, unfortunate someone gets in a way and there's a love triangle like those stories are great for some people those are just not generally the stories that i like to write or read it's interesting that you say that because now that i'm thinking of the short stories that you've that you've written that i've read particularly the one that takes place in this theme park where the the protagonist essentially kind of becomes more and more alienated the more she learns about the world she's been thrust into like that's underlying all of that and I wonder, um, in like the writing that keeps, or in the, the reading that you've been doing that keeps you inspired to keep writing, are there like, I don't know, like genre adjacent things you've read that have really gotten you there? Like, do you, are there any pieces of work that you really like that uh, present kind of an outsider protagonist that inspired you? Hmm, I would, um, I know I mentioned her at the beginning, but I just love Shirley Jackson so much because even if her her main characters aren't um, necessarily uh, queer in the traditional sense, they do have that otherness about them. Um, a book that I read recently that was just totally awesome and had a, this isn't one that would have a sort of a genre element to it. Um, the world was set in reality, um, but it was, it was called um, Politics, the Form of a Mortal Girl by Andrea Lawler. And um, it's about a person who can shift their sex so they can be oh. woman or man, depending on. So there's that fantastical element in it. Um, but the, the world that it's set in is, uh, you know, they're in San Francisco, they're in Northampton for part of it. And it just was really fun to read uh that was just that was the most enjoyable book i've read in a really long time and i hadn't read anything like that that straddled that line of just um it, was, it just it felt like contemporary fiction realistic but then there was this very obvious not real element to it i have i have some i have some questions for like emerging creatives in the sense that like um 
you know, you're a writer that's trying to get stuff out there. And I feel like a lot of creators, whether they're coming from like game writing, RPG writing, novel writing, like they don't have much of a sense of, of what's involved to get their work out there. Um, since you're actively submitting, like what are people up against when they've got to think about, okay, I've got this thing. It's really cool. I made it. Now what do I do next? What's been your experience with that? There's no one easy go-to guide that I have found. Um, there's no like magic fix book or blog or anything that just outlines this is the path to publication for you. Um, it's a lot of pooling of different resources and it takes a lot of time. Um, I can start by talking about um, uh, at least trying to get short stories published. On that side, um, it was really helpful and eye-opening to me to take, I took a, um, an afternoon course with Grub Street uh, Creative Writing Center out of Boston, where someone who had, um, has published short stories who have been, essentially validated the feelings of this is really hard and it takes a lot of time and it's okay to get rejected over and over again. P.S. Here's a list of uh, popular literary <laughs> journals that if you're uh, writing literary short stories um, uh, that that you might want to target and just going through best practices that way about cover letters and things like that. Um, that was hugely helpful. And I just, it was just, I was, and then I left that class thinking, how is anyone supposed to know this? Unless, right. I mean, you can, you can Google to uh, these questions to death, but you'll find so many different answers and so many different best practices. And I found that the best bet is to talk to someone who has actually been published and say, like what worked for them or like what what worked and what didn't and also just commiserating with rejection because that's just it just happens <laughs> so so often just get it and not taking it personally and just getting used to that feeling um on the novel side of things that was also i took a couple just very short classes um years ago one of them was through writer's digest i think it was a webinar um that was it, it was it was a more in-depth webinar. It was something you had to like sign up for. And that's the other thing that kind of gets me about um, the path to publication is that there is a slight barrier to entry um, if you want to uh, get information faster <laughs> or find or find these resources faster. You can dig through um, a bunch of free resources online. It's just and make a full list of all of the literary journals that or um, yeah, literary journals that might make sense for you. Or if you're publishing, looking to publish a novel, all of the agents and how agenting works, querying works. But darn a lot of the good resources out there, they cost at least a little bit of money, whether it be a course or a, a webinar or something like that. At least that's what, I, that's what I have found. Some of the most helpful resources did cost me money. And I think it's important to talk about that because it's, it, there's this, there's this feeling out there that's, that I, that I've at least perceived in the, in the writing world. It's just like, oh, if you just work hard enough and you, you know, you just keep submitting and you just keep trying, um, you'll, you'll get it. Mm -hmm. Um, which that might be true and that will, might be true for a lot of people, but, um, it's, it, 
a lot of good resources still cost money. <laughs> and how would you say like community factors into that, like in terms of like planning for your work and trying to get it out there? Right. So, uh, th- I mean, the only reason why I uh, was able to find, well, but the main reason why I was able to find a writing group that has been so useful to me um, ha- was because that I invested in going to the a in a grub street membership so going to the creative um writing uh center and taking classes with them and then going to the to the conference where i was able to connect with people there um there are free community um resources out there um at the time i was living in a little town um that I just moved from recently um, where there just wasn't the writing community that I felt that I needed for my writing. I wasn't getting the feedback that I wanted and I was struggling to find that community online and just knowing that it was in Boston Mm -hmm. and that if I went to a conference, I would be able to connect with people there and just making uh, that opportunity worth it. It was, it was worth it to me to invest in it. Um, And I feel like my writing has, I've improved as a writer and also learn to take my writing more seriously um, since connecting with other writers as well. So you'd say like when it comes to revision, like the, the role of community is revision, right? Like, so like getting people to look at your stuff. So it makes me think when you have other kinds of creators, we have people working say on RPGs and they're working on games that are collaborative, like getting your stuff out soon enough so people can look at it is good. So I'd ask you then like in revision, were there things that were really helpful that you learned working with other people or even like through the courses you went through to improve your work, you know, after you've gone through that process. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) It's getting feedback is so invaluable. Um, And it's, I think it's, it, I can only speak from my experience because I'm, I'm sure for some writers it's, it's more helpful for them to get feedback on a on a piece of writing or a project, creative project when they're later on in the process. Um, I tend to be that way. I tend to be a little bit more guarded of my earlier drafts just because I know they're not so great and I kind of know what they got to fix um, at, at a surface level. But then I know there's things I have to fix that I'm not going to be able to catch and um, that I need other eyes to look on it. Um, whereas others are more prefer to be more collaborative from the beginning. And that's also just learning how you like to work as a creative. And I think um, just experimenting with different, uh, different processes in terms of collaboration also is hugely helpful. If you, if you collaborate at the beginning of a project, and you're like, wait, 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 you know, that's, you know, this isn't really working for me. I need to go back and work on this a little bit on my own first and then get it out there. I say, I say that's, that's totally fine. <laughs> I can yeah, say I that um, with my, uh, so I'm in the process of pitching a novel right now that is about a young woman who, uh, comes to terms with her sexuality while uh, ex- recreating Henry David Thoreau's Walden Pond experiment out in the woods of New Hampshire. Not really any genre elements there, but um, it's it's been my pride and joy and my, my labor of love for the past four years. Um, and I didn't get any beta readers on it until I had completed a full draft. And I felt like you know, this is, I feel like it's good as it's good as it's going to be. And then I had people read it. Mm. That was after I had um, 
gone to the first writers conference and I met a couple of folks who we read each other's works as, as beta readers because we were writing similar types of coming of age, um, 20-somethings, post-college type of novels. And uh, so it was sort of like, I'll read yours, you read mine. It was it was a nice um, trade-off and just getting their feedback just it totally opened my eyes of like, there's so much that I'm missing here and, and so many questions that they had that I was just like, yeah, why would... I, I, things I wouldn't have asked myself that readers are absolutely going to ask. <laughs> yeah, that actually brings me back. It, it sounds like between everything that you've gone through so far, you've really grown as a re as a reader and a writer. I, I I'm kind of curious. What do you think some of the biggest improvements to your writing has been as a result of everything that you've been doing? Yeah, I would say that I struggle most with just plot, which is funny because I write stories and, and novels. And especially when you're working a novel, it's, you know, there's so many complexities in the ways of plot, but because I tend to start with a premise and or a character, I get really involved in the characters and I get involved in the premise and don't think so much first about uh, progression of scenes and um, building suspense and leading to a climax and resolution um, or general or the general structure of what it would be and how I'm going to get to the end. Um, and uh, both collaboratively and in taking classes, plot is something that I have, uh, I like to think that I, I'm continuously improving on. I'm in a suspense class right now, which has been really fun because that's just not naturally uh, the, a genre that I would gravitate to. Too. I don't really read very many thrillers or um, and I don't gravitate really towards writing, you know, uh, thriller types of stories or novels. So, but just learning the craft of how those are crafted um, is helpful for other genres as well. And I've been able to apply it. Are you a pantser or are you a plotter? <laughs> I used to be a pantser. But I am slowly converting over to being a plotter because it saves me so much time. Play <laughs> <laughs> hey, testing and plotting is what you're saying are two things we should be doing. <laughs> I mean, everyone, it's, I can't tell anyone how to write a book or write a short story because everyone has a different process. And some people swear that, you know, just getting it all out and going and doing the just flying with whatever comes out of your heart on the page is what's right. Um, and then maybe, you know, applying an outline to it after the fact. For me, that's with the novel um, that I'm pitching right now. It started out as just like, here's my heart on the page. And then I was just like, wait a minute, the, where's the ending? Like, <laughs> where's the beginning, middle, end? It doesn't really go. So I was just like, man, I'm never, I am never writing a novel without at least a semblance of knowing what the ending is first ever again, because that was four years of editing that. <laughs> Do you think you could have cut it down to like two years without, you know, with having learned everything that you have thus far? M maybe, maybe. It's hard. It's hard to <laughs> that's say. A, that's a hard no. I no, and that's. Totally I I think I had to suffer a little bit. Is that really masochist of me? I feel like I had to suffer through the process. Hey, no pain, no gain. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, not at all. I mean, some people, you know, I mean, the best way to learn sometimes is by touching a hot stove. And now you know not to do that ever again, right? <laughs> and for, me, for me, touching the hot stove is writing a novel without having an ending in mind. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Chris, I think you had another question. Yes. Uh, so uh, the question that I had is because I've heard stories of people kind of doing this to themselves of where they've just written themselves such into a corner that they, they have to pretty much start over from scratch. Uh, have you ever had those kind of moments where you just pretty much have to be like, well, time to go back from the start and, and just start over? <laughs> Thankfully, not with a... Uh, novel-length manuscript. Um, there's usually bits and pieces that I've been able to salvage and use, especially in the ways of characters, because I am, um, I, I tend to hone in on a particular, at least one character that stands out really strong to me, and they can evolve over time, but um, it's usually, they'll stay consistent th throughout, and it's the plot and maybe the other characters that have to change. Um, around them in a, a one of the radical revisions that I did of this this latest novel manuscript is just one character I just had to be like they're just not, they just don't make sense for the story they just don't make sense in this particular role so I I cut them completely and was just like you know what and it was really hard to do that because when you've invested time into creating a character to say okay you're are fully formed in my mind and I've spent so much time on you, but you just, just like, isn't your story to just, I don't know. They say kill your darlings, but I like to think of more, not just like killing them, but like setting them aside. And maybe there's another story that would make more sense for them. Um, or they're they as good as focused. dead though. <laughs> <laughs> they're set aside. They're set aside. I don't like uh, thinking of them as being killed. <laughs> Look, you can think of it as however you want. Like they're dead. Like, they're drunk. Dead. Maybe they'll have some air at the end. Who knows? Yeah, but I think what you're saying is actually really important because the phrase kill your darlings mm -hmm. comes up so often. But people really who, who don't necessarily go through that creative process don't understand what it's actually like to get rid of someone who, like you said, mm -hmm. you've gone through a whole process to get to know them. And you like look at them and you're looking at that backspace bar and you're, you're like, oh. and you're like, I'm just, but I, I actually, I do something very similar where if I'm writing, right. And I see something, whether it be a character or a, or a line, mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, I'm going to take this out. Cause it really doesn't fit, but I'm going to, I'm going to drag it over to my pile of regret, which is my ideas that I may or may not use later. <laughs> so I, I deeply, uh, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, I cannot tell you how much I, I feel those words that you're saying right now, because I've got a whole file I'm looking at right now that's just full of just, just lines. Just regret. <laughs> full of regret. I'm telling not darlings. even regret. Darling. Yeah, it, it, darlings. Yeah, this is my kill darlings file for sure. No, yeah. no, it would be a great slash terrible story idea would be just to take all of your darlings from oh like that you've killed off and just like put them all in a world in a room in a story like totally not even <laughs> from totally different <laughs> stories that they don't even make sense together and just you know let them have at it and just let them have the revenge 
on you, that the is writer. A post-modern, that's a postmodern literature novel if I've ever read it. Like, and it's read so it. close. Yeah. It's, it's like on the edge of parody. Like I feel like that's also an Onion article somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like- Or McSweeney. Failed right. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Killed darling, seek revenge on writer. Honestly, you could call a novel. Look, we're, we're giving out free ideas. <laughs> the, the, t- the title of the novel is Killed Darling. Yeah, there you go. Oh, come on. It's a mystery yeah. novel, of course. <laughs> yeah. Look, and you didn't have to pay for a, a fancy course for that at all. Like, yeah. That's free mo- That's free real estate. There you go. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, here's, here's a practical <laughs> question for you. I feel like we should ask a lot of people who are making stuff. Like, so how, how do you physically go about the process of keeping your momentum up? Right. So people sit down and they're like, I'm going to write a story. You know, they don't just sit down for 17 hours and finish their story and get back to it. Like, how, what do you do to get that story done? Um, If it's something that's shorter, um, I am a little bit more disciplined about it. And I, uh, I'll, it could just because it feels more digestible. <laughs> I feel like, okay, I can write a crappy first draft and have a semblance of a flat plot and clean it up later. But something like a novel, I more and more find that to keep momentum up, I have to have something to write to, like whether it be the next scene that I'm excited about mm-hmm. um, or something that I'm excited to explore. Uh, it's... It's also, it's a little bit of an obsession type of thing. Um, uh, it's like, I, I, I gotta get it done. I don't know. It's just like, even if so even, guilt, I, I, you're saying guilt, <laughs> guilt. Yeah. There's a lot of like Catholic guilt there. It's just like, I, you know, I've told people I've written good, you know, writing the story. So it's gotta get written, you know? Um, but it, it is hard without having deadlines. I do self-imposed deadlines for myself, mm-hmm. um, which sounds crazy, but I mean, whatever gets you in, in the chair to get it done. Um, I heard you withhold I alcohol too. Yes, that is another method that I use sometimes. <laughs> yeah, to, or just like I say, I can't. I'm gonna sound crazy here, but it's, I, it's like I can't have something that I enjoy until I finish this particular draft if I'm close, or I, um, or I, the opposite way, I say I, I will treat myself after this particular draft because, you know, when you're out of school, um, you know, the grades stop coming and the, the deadlines of this paper is due at the end of the semester, you know, that, that goes away. And, but that kind of structure uh, worked really well for me in academia. And I, in fact, like when I left, uh, when I graduated college, I was a bit lost for a bit. I was just like, you know, where's my report card? Where's my deadlines? Like, where's my things to turn things in and without? But because that structure in terms of even for creative projects that are for personal um, fulfillment just falls to the wayside if I don't have some sort of uh, from regiment. But I don't, I'm not a writer that I don't write every day. Some, some writers are like from you know, I wake up at 6 a.m. and I write for two hours every day. I'm like, I'm not like that. I don't have a, I don't have a set schedule for when and how I write. Um, it's, it's mostly deadline driven, <laughs> fake <laughs> deadlines that I make up myself or yeah, withholding things for myself. So uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> says that's guilt. That to me sounds more like, you know, capital, capital T, the dark urge. Like you know, <laughs> that is writing, you know? Uh, uh, well, you know, yeah. and so, some people say like, you know, 
if you don't enjoy writing, then don't do it. Or, you know, like you should just feel compelled to write. But it's just writing is not the process is not always enjoyable. Like sitting down and writing is not I I, I don't know who said the phrase, but the phrase of I don't like writing. I like having written. It feels very true to me. Like sitting yes. down and writing in the blank page just um, I don't it, I don't always find it enjoyable, but I like when it's done most of the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think for a lot of people writing, at least artists in general, artists, art is something you do because you need to do it. And I've talked to a bunch of artist friends of mine who are like, if I, you know, if, if I did, if I wasn't doing this, I'd be doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I feel that's with me, especially with writing, my writing is therapy. Uh, and it sounds like for you, that's kind of in a similar vein where it's like, it doesn't matter. You'd be doing this no matter what. Is that, is that, am I right in that regard or is that? Yeah, I took a, I would say like probably a creative break after in college. I, I studied communication. I didn't study, I wasn't writing um, besides um, a couple creative writing classes that I took. I wasn't seriously writing at all. And then I just found my way back to it um, after a brief period because I just felt like I needed something um, uh, beyond just the, the nine to five job um just to feel creative fulfillment that i wasn't getting um yeah i would i i don't think they'll i'll ever not write (laughs) i don't know what it is yeah all right so we're gonna pivot away from the writing for just a moment because i i have a question that didn't occur to me like we we're not primarily we are primarily a world building podcast but there is a very deep root that comes into with, with like specifically tabletop role playing games mm-hmm. have you ever played have you yourself ever played a tabletop role playing game i have not no wow she's learning mm-hmm. though <laughs> yeah no Wait. i i i am confident in my abilities to learn but i have right. not <laughs> It's re- honestly, it's real simple. You just roll some dice and that's just about it. Yep. Like you roll some dice and you make shit up and then that's, that's the best part of it. I can tell you. Got it. Okay. And, and I think that is actually the perfect segue <laughs> to, to now roll some dice ourselves. And make shit up. And, yes. <laughs> Yay. So, yeah. So Yay. this is, this brings us to our official world building jam session where I'm going to roll some dice and based on those die rolls, they're going to tell us what our genre is between science fiction, fantasy, horror, modern day romance, or we have to combine two in some kind of ungodly abomination. (laughs) Uh, Next, we're going to roll another die and we're going to determine the subject, whether it be an item, a monster, a place, a historical figure, an event, or again, roll two abomination, yada, yada. And then, once that's determined, we're going to figure out the theme, whether it be madness, sacrifice, love, metamorphosis, pride and honor, the unspeakable, triumph, or hope. And once that's all done, once we create a scenario based around that, we're then going to throw in a twist and fuck it all up, but we got to get there first. Yeah. So let's roll some dice and see what we get. First things first, we got the genre die. So... We have science fiction Ooh. right off the bat. All right. Yeah. Nice. All right. Next, we've got the subject, which is a place. And right. then we have the theme. Oh, that's not good. 
the theme is love. Oh. And then, so, Kendra, we have a science fiction place with a theme of love. And if you could go, because you're our special guest, you get to start us off. So, science fiction, a place, and the theme of love. So, go ahead. I guess it's science if it's like biology, right? Yeah. So I'm okay. I'm, I'm right. I have a notebook here. I'm like really prepared for this. I just <laughs> like I knew this was coming, and then the love thing just like threw me. I okay. And yeah, that's why we randomize it because it's yeah, way more fun when yeah, you're like, I, oh god, panic. <laughs> I know. Yes. Okay. Um. Whatever excites you is usually what you want to go with. Um, <laughs> love does not excite me. Is that terrible? There's <laughs> <laughs> no. so much love in them. So, yeah. So no, that's fine. If you want to go with a dark love story, mm-hmm. that's fine. It's like, oh yeah, love like heartache or heartbreak yeah. or something like that. That's also in the theme of love. Just a really mm-hmm. fucked up version of love. Okay. I mean, it uh is you know very fucked up way a love story, right? What is? Uh, you oh yeah you know, it's true not the guy falling in love with people and... <laughs> oh yeah. yes the show you Dark, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, like, what, like i will come across the hall and slap you <laughs> <laughs> hey i mean x-files was a love story guys and i don't care what anyone says but it is absolutely a love story Okay, they don't. Li- okay, that's <laughs> we could talk Between about that. Who, Mulder and his sister, Mulder, like, Mulder and, and Sully, obviously. Oh, you're so full of shit. Dude. There is an episode halfway through the series where they clearly have been sleeping together the whole time. It's five minutes of the beginning of the episode, easily missed. Proves my point. Daniel, your slash <laughs> fiction does not fuck you in fucking X Files, right? Uh, oh my god i mean no don't get me like that's the thing i actually i think it's a more interesting story if there is no or little romantic involvement between the two characters they've been sleeping together like through half the series again (laughs) (sighs) all right i I think you might have to be like, no, do this over. No, that's fine. Because I like don't know if this is science fiction or not. It's gonna be. Yeah, fine. We're gonna make it. Okay. All right. Well, the place is a pet shop. Okay. And um, somebody goes into a pet shop and falls in love with a pet that they absolutely have to take home with them, but the pet is not a pet that you would normally think of, like a cat or a dog. Ooh. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm liking this idea. Is it a bad pet um, or a good pet? Um, it could be a very bad pet. Hmm. Can we Can we expand upon this and have it be like, this is a specialty shop like the shop itself is basically the epicenter for a sudden explosion and this type of adoption of animals. Oh and yeah. I, we could do aliens, but that's kind of lame and not what I'm into. I like the idea of like unpopular animals suddenly becomes popular specifically because of this one particular pet shop. Oh my God. What animal does everyone hate that? <laughs> Komodo dragons. <laughs> Komodo dragons. <laughs> 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 
No, no, no. Someone pick a someone pick a more reasonable animal because Let's I think see. Komodo dragons. Monkfish. Monkfish. You know what? No, come on. Yeah. No one's gonna fall in love with a monkfish. Something that we could possibly. You want to be able to hug it, right, and touch it. I mean, it, yeah, but what about... it should also be vaguely repulsive, right? Oh, like, true. That's, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, with the monkfish, it's just shape of water. Yeah, right. And that's end. what we're trying yeah, to yeah. avoid. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Something that could get leprosy, like an armadillo. Armadillo. I'm thinking like eels, like electric eels. Ooh. I don't know how. You, I don't know how you would take an electric eel. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah. No. Let's do. Let's yeah. do electric eel. Oh. That's totally fine. Okay. So maybe the um, shop. Um. They. If it's eels, right? They found a way to like inject them or add something into their like genetic makeup that maybe makes them glow or is interesting in some way. And that's people why people are buying them like crazy. I'm thinking like pheromones or some kind of hypnotic pattern. Oh, hypnotic pattern. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Like there, there's some kind of bioluminescence or something like that. Or, or maybe there's some kind of like, maybe it's like, Oh, just touch the water. And they've secreted some kind of pheromone that like, is evaporate or like is absorbed through the skin and all of a sudden you're like <gasps> oh okay by the feel right i think so in in the book um that blade runner is based on there was this thing called a mood organ that they'd push and it would change people's emotions so maybe like you're saying with this hypnotic like pattern it can influence your mood so the reason why people fall in love with them is because it makes them feel a certain way so if you're really sad you want to pick me up you buy one of these eels it makes you happy but there's got to be some dark side to it well, actually, that's where the twist can potentially come in. Yeah, yeah. But, but Kendra, uh, I want you to add a little bit more to it. What do you think? There's one other thing that I have that I know you have in you. Like, what? What do you get? What are you thinking? Um. Well, I like Daniel's idea of of it. Um, they you want to take them home for some reason, but the bad effects is that they electrify you or do so, there's something like some negative repercussion to having them in your house i just um don't know like an addiction maybe <laughs> addiction to eels oh my oh, gosh no they they have a very short lifespan oh. so you have to continuously buy the yes eels buy more of them oh okay yeah okay a drug addiction is, now <laughs> it's, okay this is really bizarre. it's a perfect I business so I, mean, I don't know what monster i created like what is this <laughs> this is how this works though this is yeah. totally fine like I, if, if i was in this business i would totally be into it because i could just pop up these stores sell them like gangbusters and they have to keep coming back yes absolutely okay so we're at the point where we can now go ahead and throw in a twist to make this even worse for you. And we're gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah uh, I'm gonna roll the die. I'm gonna figure it out. Okay, let's see what we get. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, now add in some undead. Is this- <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Kendra, add in some undead. Um... <laughs> there's, there's 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 no way to uh oh god no that they're just they'd still be dead and that they'd not be undead they'd still be dead um well, what were you thinking i was thinking there's no there's no way to dispose of the eels so you just collect them in your house and that's also a problem like a dead eel hoarder situation um oh, no um gosh 
Okay, I think the first thing that we have to determine, mm-hmm. what is undead, the human or the eel? Yeah, that's a good question. So do you want to go with the eel? Because we can make that work. I think that the eel would make more sense. Okay. So it would be more fun to be undead. Maybe then okay. the eel, like, doesn't really die. Explain. So maybe we think the eel dies, but it gets out of its tank somehow to the person it's hypnotized. And it shed its skin? Yes. And then replaces okay. the person or attaches to him. Okay, that is that is literally an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and reject that. Anyway. Wait, what are you afraid of the dark? It's the one with uh, Tien Tamara Maori, where they have an iguana. Well, that's very specific. Yeah. Oh, I know. Going through a metamorphosis. Get out of here. Ooh, a metamorphosis? I like that. An undead metamorphosis. Go ahead. Remember, we have to add an undead. That's what the rules right. say. I mean, come on. Yeah. So if the, if the eel is undergoing a metamorphosis and it attaches to the person, maybe the person becomes the undead with the eel in it. Wait, say that? <laughs> so, okay, so like the eel attaches to the person. It's, it's gone through its metamorphosis and now the people are the zombies. They're not like literally zombies, but they're zombies in the sense that they have to keep buying more eels for their friends and their family to then add the eels to those people. So you effectively have a zombie apocalypse. So you're just really passionate about eels, and you're like, hey man, you, you gotta get these. Yes! <laughs> this this is... Yeah, this one really went off the rails with that twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's basically everyone's buying eels, and then these eels are populating the world. Here, this guy's growing a new oh. strain of eels. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Hold on. I, I've got, I've kind of got an idea. Okay. All right. So these eels eventually use the... I like what you were saying, Daniel, where it's a matter of... the. It's not like a replacement where it's like body snatcher type thing. Yeah. But imagine that like there's now a colony of eels living inside you and they're using you as a biome. Yes. Kind of ride around in. I think that's what, what that's I think that's what I would want to go with is like imagine like cutting open a human <gasps> it's full like, of eels full like oh god eels. Yeah. oh, oh fuck. I yes. I love that I don't know why how we went from sci-fi to horror but that's <laughs> I mean that's very zombie like okay I love yeah. that Oh wow! <laughs> so are they eating? Are they eating the eels to like get inside the people? I guess I'm not clear on how the eel- it's eels. All eels, are eels now. I mean, maybe when you go to you replace the water or whatever, there's really tiny eel babies that come out of the eel that get in your skin. Oh yeah, like it, they lay eggs like inside mm-hmm. your skin or something like that. Yeah. Oh, it's it's like a jade wasp situation. Yeah. Where, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't want to kill you. They need a host body. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Oh my I don't goodness. Think, yeah, I don't think we're going to do anything, but it, <laughs> well, you know, where, did, like, where did the love go? <laughs> well, it's, about, it's, about, you know, it's about the population of Yale society. Like, uh, this brings me back, in fact, Kendra, to one of your stories that was like a spin on Little Shop of Horrors, 
where you had a plant that found a way of populating itself by, um, you know, essentially mating with protagonists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was. So, I mean, this is something. This is just the this is just the life cycle of the eel. Yeah. Mating just so happens to be part of it. I mean, mating is love sometimes, you know. So it's I mean, love in a time of coronavirus, know? you know. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I got, I got it. Okay, I got okay, it. Okay. All right. The eel cannot inject you and infest you with its brood unless the human host is in love with the eel. <gasps> oh, that's perfect. Oh, it's the hypnotizing stuff. That's why it wants it's, you to do that. Yeah, it's the good old Ariel from the Little Mermaid Gambit. Like, yes. that's basically what's going on. <laughs> but with colors. Yeah. And I, I also think, like, kind of some kind of weird pheromone situation might work. Oh, like, well. that's kind of like that Octavia Butler story where they inject, like, the brood into the humans. There's these bug people that, like, keep humans as pets. That's almost oh, the same man. story. All right. All right. Well, I've, I've not read that one, but that sounds gross, and I do love Octavia Butler. It's horrifying. So- so what you're saying is that this is completely, you know, this is this is normal. <laughs> this is totally. Yeah. Why not? I mean, in, in this universe that we've created, I mean, again, this is free real estate for everyone who wants to make like a, you know, what the new Twilight Zone would probably pick this up. So, you know, all right, all right, Kendra, that's going to conclude our world building jam. Uh, that was absolute chaos and i love it yes i i I appear to supply the chaos apparently (laughs) and heels (laughs) yeah all right so so how about this we're gonna go ahead and roll into our rapid fire questions are you ready uh uh, yes absolutely okay so my wife wants to know is cereal a soup no yes okay Ooh, two no's (laughs) Uh, all right. What have you been playing or reading recently? I have been reading. Um, I, uh, an absolutely remarkable thing by Hank Green. Um, I've been listening to it on audiobook actually, because all my books are in boxes. <laughs> I'm in the middle of moving. All right, and uh, tell us someone who you want to shout out who's not yourself. Um, I am shouting out my partner Aisha for putting up with me with this move that we are going through right now um, into our new apartment. All right. And finally, um, I forgot my last question. Oh, wait, no. Finally, tell us where we can uh, plug yourself. Tell us where we can find you. Tell us what we can be interested in if you need representation, anything like that. Yeah, of course. Um, so my website is KendraMacWrites.com, and I'm also on Twitter at KendraMac, M-A-C-K. And I am currently pitching a novel, coming-of-age story, about a young woman trying to recreate Heavy David Thoreau's Walden Pond experiment. All right. Kendra, thank you so much for a really fun and enjoyable interview. And yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. This is so much fun. I actually read that uh, story about the horse. I really liked it. It's good, or- right? Yeah, yeah. It's creepy. I really like too, like how we talked about um, how you apply different um, methods when you're dealing with you know short stories versus novels, and she's working on both. Yeah, this uh, this was actually a really fun interview because I think that it's one of the first ones that we really got to talk deep about like the craft of writing, mm-hmm. which is. 
you know, like, like the whole conversation we had surrounding, you know, how she kind of gets better at it, you know, the processes of, you know, where you can go to get better at it and stuff like that. I think that's something that is, you know, we, we often talk about like RPGs and yeah. we talk to game designers and kind of have a heavy focus in our, on, on D and D and stuff like that. But this is the first one where it's like, no, nah, I don't play any of that nerd shit. Let's just talk about like fucking straight up writing. You know? and like, how do you get down and do it? You know, I like get into the weeds yeah. and actually do the work. Yeah, I, I think that the closest thing that we had to that was our interview with James L. Sutter. Yeah. Uh, but this was the first one where it's like, no, let's talk about craft. And, and I, I love stuff like that. I love getting into the mechanics of it more than anything else. Ooh, also um, eels. Yeah, I was going to say also probably <laughs> one of the coolest and weirdest like world building jam sessions that we've ever had. Like just utterly bizarre. Oh, and, like, surreal. Oh, yes, I think surreal. I would even go so far as to call it absurdist. Uh-huh. But, you know. That's her thing, though. It makes sense. I I would agree with that. I, I think yeah. that reading reading some of her other works, it, it, it's kind of her style, yeah. at least when it comes to her genre stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that'll do it for this episode of World Build with us. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you ever want to send us a prompt or an email or just tell us, you know, that we look nice today, you can go ahead and send us an email at worldbuildwithus at gmail.com. Or if you'd rather send it in the form of a tweet or DM, you can send it to at Let's World Build. And remember, folks, uh, have a great week. We love you very much. And just take care of yourself.